0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Biblical Studies. I'm your host, Michael Morales. In today's program, we'll be talking to Benjamin Glad about a recent book he co authored with Matthew Harmon. The book is called Making All Things New Inaugurated Eschatology for the Life of the Church. That was published in 2016 by Baker Academic, and you'll find a link to this work on our website. Benjamin Glad is assistant professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. He completed his Ph.D. from Wheaton College in New Testament in 2008. He teaches courses in Greek, exegesis, the New Testament, and the use of the Old Testament in the New. His publications include Hidden but Now Revealed, a biblical theology of divine mystery that was co-authored with G.K. Beale and published by InterVarsity Press in 2004. And From Creation to New Creation, Essays on Biblical Theology and Exegesis. That was co-edited with Daniel Gertner and published by Hendrickson in 2013. Benjamin Glad, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: Ben, before we get into your book, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, uh, perhaps a word about your family and and then the focus of your studies.
1: Uh, Sure thing, yes. I grew up in Maryland. And uh, I spent pretty much all the way through high school there. I then went to college in California uh, at the Master's College. And then uh, for my MA and PhD, I traveled to Chicago, where I spent about 10 years at Wheaton College. And in 2010, I became uh, an associate pastor of a church in L.A. For two years, and then RTS Jackson called me, and I started working here in Jackson. Uh, it was January 1st, 2012, so I've been here for almost five years. I have two kids, six and three, Simon and Judah, my wife Nikki. We've been married for 11 years.
0: Mm, that's wonderful. Thank you. Now, Ben, the subtitle of your book is Inaugurated eschatology for the life of the church—that's a mouthful, especially for the lay-level reader. Maybe you can uh, begin by explaining what is eschatology, and then uh, what we mean by inaugurated eschatology.
1: Yes, eschatology—just uh, generally, at a very basic level—is the study of last things. Now, in popular evangelicalism, and as you'll hear in the church. Eschatology is typically portrayed as those events that immediately precede Christ's coming. That is the Great Tribulation. A lot of churches uh, hold to a seven-year tribulation, and the Antichrist uh, manifests himself, and then that's followed by a thousand-year earthly millennial reign. And then after that, there's the final judgment, and then the eternal uh, state in the new heavens and new earth. And so when people think of eschatology, they're typically um, uh, having, having those events in mind. In some sense, that's correct, but in another sense, it's not, in that uh, I and Matthew Harmon and the vast majority of uh, New Testament scholars now hold to eschatology as it now really began in Christ's first advent, in his first coming, and it spans, and eschatology spans all the way until Christ's second coming. So it's a, it's the intermediate period between the comings of Christ. Now, the inauguration, the inaugurate eschatology part gets at some of that in that the old testament's understanding of last things those events which will happen right uh, immediately leading up to the to the day of the lord um began in the first century and it's so we use the word inaugurated to describe that beginning of the end
0: hmm. thank you that's helpful how would you link the the resurrection to uh, inaugurated eschatology
1: I'll borrow a phrase from from the Bible. It's the first fruits. Um, it's the beginning stage of it, and um, uh, uh, um, just because it's the beginning of it doesn't mean that it's any less than it than the than the entire concept. And that is when when Christ dies and when He rises again. He begins the process of renewal. In fact, Ephesians and Colossians, both in the first chapter in, in either one, in both of those epistles, he uses the word reconciliation and unity to describe this, this reconciliation between the cosmos and uh, God. And that's the beginning of the new creation. God is beginning to put things back together through his son's work.
0: Mm, thank you. I see that the introductory chapter to your and Harmon's book was written by Greg Beal. Maybe you yes. can discuss for a moment, uh, his influence on your thinking and maybe get into a little bit of the content of that introduction.
1: Yes. Uh, Dr. Beal was my, uh, doctoral advisor when I was at Wheaton. He, he worked with me when I, when I worked on the idea of mystery in first Corinthians and the influence of Daniel in first Corinthians, um, and as I began to work with him, I obviously read more of him and learned from him. Um and so as as I began to understand more of the more of the richness of inaugural eschatology, it occurred to me that hey, how come how come pastors and and church leaders don't more don't don't speak more about this? In fact, the 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 book the idea of the book was birthed from an experience that I had while I was a pastor in LA when when I was working through a book with the other pastors on staff, and uh, we were reading a church planting book, and as I was, as I was working through it, it dawned on me and, and at this one particular page that, hey, this, this author, if this author understood eschatology, then his point would be so much uh, richer, and the book would be much stronger. And then it occurred to me, well, why doesn't he understand more about it? Why don't pastors know more about this? And so that sort of was the beginning of um, the seeds of this, this book. And so then I called Matt, said, Matt, hey, I got an idea. I don't have time to write this all by myself. I think it would be fun for us to do it together. And that's that's how it all started.
0: Great. Now, that's is quite a shift in thinking for many people where we think about the latter days as some future period way beyond us and then to be told actually no we are in the last days now and um, i'm looking at page six and seven and following of your book where you talk about the phrase latter days in the old testament and argue that this is not just talking about some indefinite time in the near future but literally eschatology, and then you give some helpful aspects of that on page seven. Can you maybe just go over some of those, some, some of these elements that uh, define uh, the expectation for eschatology in the Old Testament? Yes.
1: Yeah, so uh, in chapter one, as you had mentioned before, uh, uh, Greg Beale wrote this chapter. So that's, that's where we are here. He talks about how the Old Testament, though and so you know at the earlier portions of the Old Testament are a little bit vaguer. it's the language is thicker, but as you work through the prophets, it becomes clear as to what what eschatology really begins to look like. And that is that this expression, the latter days and its synonymous phrases, it has it entails the idea of particular a sequence of events that will occur that leading up to the day of the Lord, and and Dr. Beal points out that it is a distinct epoch, is it a distinct point in Israel's history, so that once Israel began or merges into this period known as the latter days, then that is eschatological. That is a distinct period of time. And as that time unfolds, you could you could sort of summarize it very very quickly. The bad things and then the good things. <laughs> and and it goes, tribulation, suffering, there's this antagonist that arises, oppresses the Israelites, and then the Messiah comes, defeats this antagonist, defeats the false teaching, overthrows the kingdom somewhere. It, he, This Messiah appears to suffer to some degree in the midst of this conflict, but in his death he restores and establishes the kingdom. And then the new creation happens in its fullness. There's the resurrection of the dead, the righteous inhabit the new creation the unrighteous do not so it's this broad series of events that the old testament authors uh uh uh, outline uh Mm -hmm. to the the latter days
0: okay um maybe if we could touch on two of these this will probably overlap with some of the material we'll uh, go over in a little bit but um the fifth aspect mentioned there by Beal is, uh, for the last days, is through a coming Davidic king who will defeat all opposition and reign in peace and a new creation over both. And, um, for example, for uh, Jewish friends that would uh, say that the New Testament is somehow off because you have this claim to be Messiah, but we don't actually see um a Davidic king on an earthly throne reigning over the nations. Uh, what what's the dynamic involved as we move from this expectation into the New Testament fulfillment?
1: Yes, that's a very good and difficult question because the Old Testament, generally speaking, not in a, I could point you to some text where I don't think it's quite getting at that, but generally speaking, the Old Testament does argue that there will be an earthly, a political ruler uh, who will uh, conquer Israel's surrounding nations and be established and reign and rule on a, on, a, on the throne in Israel. And uh, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the King, not uh, in so many words and actions, and uh, but he says that my kingdom is not like the one you're expecting. And so, There's there's some dissonance there with the Old Testament, but it's right at that dissonance where he starts to use the language of this is a mystery or the mysteries of the kingdom in uh, Matthew, In fact, in all all three synoptics use that language. And the idea. So the idea is that there's that there's new information here that this has this was not fully disclosed in the Old Testament. And it's what makes Jesus' teaching difficult to understand at times, not just the nature of the kingdom, but also the nature of his kingship, both of those.
0: And it seems the fact that there is a disconnect, that there is a at least a mold, an expectation um, from so many of what the kingdom will be like. Uh, it seems that the authors of the New Testament, uh, Christ himself and his teachings recorded there, Understands Zach because so much of the teaching really is, you know, beginning with phrases like uh, "What can I compare the kingdom of God to?" "What is the kingdom of God like?" And it's uh, given this new paradigm.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Like they, they use in, in Matthew thirteen, the word "kingdom" is used all over the place. Even the word "like" is used all over the place. It's it's, it's these these parables. In fact, Matthew thirteen and parallels. Um, that's the most extensive. Uh, amount of teaching we have on the nature of the kingdom, both how the kingdom arrives and its value, its legitimacy, its uh, true fulfillment. I think the parable of the the pearl and the treasure are arguably one of the most important parables that Jesus that Jesus uses because it demonstrates that the kingdom in the New Testament, as Jesus is installing it, is indeed the same one that the Old Testament authors have prophesied. That's the point of those parables, and that's that's crucial.
0: So would you say that um, the expectation of the Old Testament, for example, prophets like Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, um, the kind of kingdom that's expected, even the, the glimpses of which we, we see sometime in the Psalms, uh, we would say that, yes, that is fulfilled in the New Testament and that our clearest picture of that is Revelation 21-22. In other words, that the new Jerusalem of the new creation is actually what Jeremiah and the other prophets were speaking about and that the great um, mystery that's explained is sort of this intervening period, an overlap, as it were, of the ages?
1: I mean, it's a both and. I mean, I think there's... I think there's Multiple multiple fulfillments taking place. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, if you if you just especially Matthew's gospel, uh, uh, he'll he'll tap into these very explicit uh, prophetic books and say, "It's here, it's fulfilled." Don't you see it? And then and then we can read in Revelation twenty one and twenty two in those same texts that talk about the kingdom in the new creation are employed once again and saying, "Hey, now it's finally fulfilled." So it's a both. It's, it's an initial fulfillment, and it's a final fulfillment. So we use the idea, we use the wording of already and not yet to explain how can Old Testament texts be fulfilled m- multiple on multiple occasions. And not only are they fulfilled on multiple occasions, but their, f- their fulfillment gets bigger and bigger.
0: Thank you. Now, turning to the ninth of the, the ten elements that Bill mentions um, uh, it has reference to God's bestowing the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I'm, for example, working on Numbers, Moses there, you know, longs for uh, all of God's people to have his spirit the, the same way that Moses himself mm-hmm. experiences. And we see those mm-hmm. prophecies like in Joel 2. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that transition into the New Testament.
1: Yeah, so uh, again, to refer to Doctor Beal, he uh, Greg Beal thinks that Joel turns Moses' wish into a formal prophecy because if you study the links between Numbers eleven and Joel two, there actually be seen to be pretty a pretty tight connection between those two. Um, and then, as Peter declares uh, in Acts in Acts two, that indeed uh, Joel is being fulfilled. Uh, at this time, or at at Pentecost, it's uh, it's a legitimate. It's I think it's a legitimate fulfillment, and I think it's the the arrival of the Spirit. Not just signals the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, which which are amazing and and hugely important, but it also signals the, the uh, God coming down, heaven coming down, and in God's presence now invading people and not not being confined to a physical structure but now God is dwelling truly in the midst of in the midst of people.
0: Thank you. That's helpful. Now your chapters 2 and 3 are entitled uh, the nature of the end time church life and then life in the overlap of the ages. And I don't know if it might be helpful to walk through the basic storyline of the Old Testament before we get into that. But I'd like to uh, essentially, get the basic gist of those two chapters.
1: Yes, uh, Matt. Matt wrote uh, chapter two, the nature of the church. I wrote what's the name of the chapter, life in the overlap of the ages, and uh, so he takes he takes the corporate idea of tracing God's people from Genesis all the way through the New Testament, demonstrating. That they are supposed to uh, be image bearers, reflect God's glory, keep the covenant, be perfect, spread God's spread God's glory to the ends of the earth. Those those types of ideas, and he, and he traces those ideas out, but then he shows that as as um, Adam and Adam and Eve fail, so too Israel fails, and the patriarchs fail. Uh, but the commission and the expectation is still the same. And then as we get into the New Testament, we learn that Jesus, as the perfect image of God and as the Son of God, and as Adam and as Israel, all of those things wrapped up together, um, he gets it right. He achieves what Adam and Israel should have done. And that now, by faith, as we, as we hold fast to Christ, we in turn participate in the realization of those promises um. Uh, that that's, that's that's really the the core idea with Matthew's chapter on the nature of the church. So that the church is now not a parenthesis. Neither does it replace Israel. It is true Israel. This is the the Old Testament has been expecting the day when uh, when God would create a, a a people group that is that is perfect that um, abides by the covenant. The the covenant is eternal. God fills them with His Spirit, and all of those promises of of restoration and forgiveness and justification, all of those are then realized initially in the church. My chapter, Life in the Overlap of the Ages, drills down. So we go from a more corporate understanding to a more personal and individual understanding in chapter 3, and that's with mine. I try to work with the idea that, really central to to this chapter is, is uh, believers being spiritually resurrected, and the implications of that are significant. And uh, one of the most, uh, if I could use a technical word, one of the most realized um, passages in all the New Testament when it comes to eschatology is in John 5, when Jesus says, that the hour is now; it's happening right now. When the resurrection is now being fulfilled, and it's, those are allusions to to Daniel as well. And um, the point is that believers, right now, because we have faith in Jesus, we are joined to Him. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and uh, because of our union with Him, we too are with with Christ in a risen in a, in a very risen and spiritual way. Paul talks about this. Um, quite a bit in his epistles. He even uses the, the wording of being raised up with Christ. And so chapter, chapter 3 is really just trying to get at this idea of, of the importance of our spiritual resurrection. And then what, with, what now happens in the book is we're then going to take both of these concepts, a corporate and an individual idea of, of eschatology, and then apply them to church ministry uh, f- for the remainder of the book.
0: Yes, and I want to turn to part two of your book now, which uh, is dedicated to pastoral leadership. Uh, the little uh, anecdote you, you mentioned or your experience uh, being with a group of pastors and uh, that sort of leads to this book. So I'm, I'm assuming pastoral leadership is basically the, the target audience for this work? Yes, yes, okay. yes,
1: Michael.
0: And in that second part, um, you're you and Matt are seeking to show how inaugurated eschatology has practical applications uh, for pastors, and you give a variety of, of areas in, in different chapters, and you talk about feeding the flock, guarding the flock, guiding the flock. Uh, maybe you can give us just a taste of, of this section and, and show us how uh, relevant one's eschatology is to pastoral ministry.
1: Part two of the book is, a, is exactly that. It's a fleshing out. So the first three chapters are more theological uh, they're establishing a framework, and then the last two parts of the book take that framework and begin to work it out in pastoral ministry matthew writes the the the, the first the first in of part two pastoral um, he we we call it feeding the flock and it's about preaching and he works through portions of the New testament is mainly acts and first corinthians uh, about how the New Testament, the, the apostles, when they're preaching, their preaching is filled with eschatology. And it's, it, not only is it filled with it, it's empowered with it. I mean, they, they see themselves as priests, kings, prophets, prophet, priest, and kings. Those three Those three offices are all at work, and they're consciously at work when the Word is proclaimed. And if you just look at the sermons that are preached in the New Testament, both in Acts and elsewhere, you'll find a lot of eschatology uh, in their sermons. It's it's quite amazing.
0: And that seems. What did add you want add
1: to go ahead? It seems to add a bit okay. of
0: urgency, um, at the very least, uh, to pastoral ministry. Uh, this whole the context of um, eschatology and. As you mentioned, it comes out in all of the the sermons uh, that we have there in the New Testament, the apostolic preaching.
1: There's, it's, it's. I mean, Paul himself says, "And today, you know, uh, accept accept my word today, accept the gospel today, right now." That's wording from from Isaiah, I believe, and um, it's it's exceptionally urgent. I mean, if you just a cursory reading, even through the pastorals, you get the sense from Paul that both Titus and Timothy need to be very aware very urgent um it's 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 a call to arms and they and it, uh, it's a it's a full court press and it's a full court press because and this is where my my chapter comes in that is because they need to guard the word guard the uh gospel why do they need to guard it because it's the it's the tribulation both the kingdom is arrived and the tribulation has commenced with Christ's first comings and first coming and so now the apostles have to guard and protect the message because false teachers in the spirit of the antichrist is now at work and it's absolutely essential that Timothy and Titus and these elders hold fast to what they have received because the tribulation is broken in the answer anti- the spirit of the Antichrist is there and there are false teachers all over the place and um, it's yeah it's, it's it's a it's a it's a um, it's a directive that the church has to continue to pass along it's easy to slack in that area
0: right turning to part three now the final section of making all things new uh, it's called End Time Ministry. The subtitle is Service in the Latter-day Temple of God. And uh, I'm going to quote from page 115. You you were, Matt, right? Uh, eschatology not only enriches how pastors lead their churches, it also energizes and informs how the church interacts with God and the world around us. And then you have uh, chapters relating to corporate worship, uh, to prayer, and to missions. And perhaps um, uh, the least obvious for many will will be how inaugurated eschatology relates to corporate worship. Maybe you can touch on that for a little bit.
1: Yes, so Matthew wrote this chapter, and I think he did a good job with it. One of his main points is to connect earthly worship with heavenly worship. Now, we can see pieces of this in Paul, but we get most of our material in Revelation and it's this idea that what takes place on earth is reflected in the heavens we, we we get we also can look in in the book of Daniel and can see some of this as well not necessarily as it pertains to worship but the connection between what takes place on earth happens in heaven and so when the church when the local church gathers together the the angelic representatives are gathering in heaven, worshiping as well and we 're tied together um, so not only do we so not only are we joined together in the latter days in our worship service and we 're thanking God and worshiping God for what has taken place through his son but we 're also rallying around the the heavenly throne room with the angels, and they too are praising and worshiping God just like we are, and so when we have this this cosmic or a, this spiritual angle on worship, what that does is it just makes it, we, we, we've got it, <laughs> it makes it even more urgent. Our preaching will get better. Our worship needs to get better. The importance on attending church obviously goes up. Um, it speaks to all sorts of wonderful facets of, of the local gathering. Hmm.
0: Now, how about prayer? How does inaugurated eschatology fashion shape our prayer life?
1: Yeah, you would, you, you would think that that could be a bit of a stretch. But if you look in the New Testament, if you look at how they pray, most of the time, in fact, you could probably even make the claim all the time that we see the apostles praying or Jesus himself praying, it, it's filled with eschatology. I mean, even the Lord's Prayer, let thy kingdom come. That's an exceptionally, exceptionally eschatological phrase, even in in protect us, deliver us from... It shouldn't be translated the e- evil it should be translated from the evil one. That's Matthew's uh, uh, rendering, and uh, that again is highly eschatological. It's very much Jesus prayer is very much connected to what is happening in the latter days. What the old what is the Old Testament expectation here and how prayer is the is one of the means in which uh, eschatology is appropriated. That is, it's it, the coming kingdom is very much bound up with prayer. And uh, so, if you start to think along those lines and, and pray along those lines, prayer becomes not only essential, but it's, it's exceedingly rich.
0: Thank you, Ben. Now, throughout this book, you, you have the phrase, the grand narrative uh, of the Bible. And obviously, this is part of bridging the latter days and the Old Testament to the new. Could you maybe just uh, give a, a brief synopsis of that grand narrative?
1: The grand narrative, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's hard to... Yeah, Yes, of course, of course. And this is where, I mean, I, I, I'm, you'd probably agree here. Um, if, for me, and I'm not sure if... I think Matt would, would, would say something very similar to this. I, I agree with you in that the idea of the Bible, the broad idea of the Bible, is that it's about it's a story of God dwelling with us, and ultimately, ultimately, it's 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 on the trajectory of God dwelling in our midst in the new creation. I think that is like the big. I think that's a big idea of the Bible, and um, uh, we can see this with Adam and Eve. God's intent to dwell with them, but they but they fail. They they are unfaithful, and so God expels them. He, they cast them into exile outside of His presence. So then, it's picked up again with Noah and the patriarchs and Israel. It's picked up. God wants to dwell with them. They can't do it right. They can't offer up the sacrifices correctly. They can't keep the law, but God keeps. God keeps going. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna fulfill His very promise Himself, and um, so He sends His Son, and and in Christ, uh, God's glory dwells with Him in its fullness. And uh, so we see that's such a such a main point of all four Gospels is that God has come down in Jesus. And uh, so now that we're now with the church, as we enjoy Jesus, we trust in him, we um, have we put our faith in him. We are now the very place of God and heaven is now coming down and that awaits Christ's second coming when all this will be fully and completely realized in the new creation and so all of the, I I, th- I think those are just big big picture type ideas about the story, the narrative. Uh there are all these sorts of sorts of great subplots that are built into that story and and there are lots of twists and turns and ironies and paradoxes, but I think just that that's just a reflection of who God is and how amazing he is and and that's just how he displays his glory.
0: Mhm. Well, we're just about at our closing, Mark. But before we say goodbye, Ben, maybe you can tell us about any new projects you're working on. I heard a little rumor that you might be editing a whole B.T. Yes. series.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, I'm almost done with a New Testament introduction with Greg Beale. We're doing it through InterVarsity Press. I mean, it's just a couple months away from being completed it's a it's it's a college textbook where we, we introduce each New Testament book in light of the Old Testament. We tr- we hunt down we, again. We can't do this exhaustive. I mean, it's just it's sure it has to be general. But but we pay attention to the story. We pay attention to the quotations. Eschatology is a big part of it. I mean, it, it will really be. I'm, I'm I'm a little terrified, and I, I hope it's not too original. <laughs> so I hope it. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, Rome is creating a new genre here. Uh, but it's going to be a New Testament intro. It's for college. I I would love to take that project and to boil it down and to get that into Bible studies. And so we'll see if if I can spin out smaller projects from that. I I just have a huge passion for Sunday school and for Bible studies and in the local church. So I'm I'm, I'm hoping I can do some of that. And also, as you mentioned, I'm editing a series, a new series. I guess the 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 Tenuous title is Essential Studies in Biblical Biblical Theology, ESBT. Mm-hmm. We're doing a 10-volume set I'm super excited about, 175 pages or so. And um, we've got a great cast, a great lineup of who's contributing. Uh, you're going to do Exodus Redemption, I believe. Note uh, to self, start writing note soon. Note to self, I'll <laughs> send you an email. T.D. Alexander is doing one on mm. Priest and Mediator. Excited about that one. Uh, Stephen Dempster is doing one on Kingship and Kingdom.
0: Right up I'm alley. doing
1: one on, yes, that's going to be great. I'm really excited about that. I'm doing one on Adam and Israel. What does it mean to be the people of God? And uh, Matthew Harmon, again, who, who wrote Making All Things New with Me, he's going to do one on Sin and Exile. And, um, so we're going to release five books first and then five books after that. So we're doing it in two groups and that they're due manuscripts are due in 2018, right around there. So we'll see what happens with that series.
0: And when is that new Testament introduction uh, supposed to be out?
1: Two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, I didn't mean to bring up a topic. It's hard because we've got to do. We've got to do pictures and maps and all of that, and that's not really. that's hard for me. That's not really my thing. Sure. Um, so I, IVP is going to do that internally, and and I'll work with them. I'll try to figure out some of that stuff. But I've been working with Dan Reed. He's been he's been great about making that happen. So great. yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know ENETA. ETA. I'm just trying to get it. I'm just trying to finish the finish the content of it. Sure. I should also mention,
0: going back to making all things new, that this book, even though the topic uh, may seem um, like it would require lots of discussion, uh, one of the things that I was amazed at is uh, this is well under 200 pages, uh, so it's not even a, a heavy, heavy investment. It It's written at an uh, easy reading level and covers a lot of broad topics. Well, thank you, Ben, for joining us today on New Books in Biblical Studies, and thank you for your labors on this book, Making All Things New.
1: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, we've been talking to Benjamin Glad about his book, Making All Things New, co-authored with Matthew Harmon and published by Baker Academic in 2016. Again, you can find a link to that book on our website, newbooksnetwork.com, under the Biblical Studies channel. We thank you for listening in. Until next time, goodbye.